Money Sense, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. A very good morning and warm welcome to Money Sense. I'm Simon Cordry and I have the distinct pleasure of being joined this morning by Amy Hubble. Good morning. Good morning. Amy, this morning we are being joined in the studio by two guests, Matthew O'Keefe and Lou Dimitrov, who are both from DART and they are going to talk about property and real estate and how to understand the market dynamics. So good morning to you gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. We're talking property, we're talking real estate and it's a very hot topic particularly in Cayman at the moment, people are talking about prices having gone up, people are talking about the scarcity of opportunities. And we want to come on to all of that. But let's talk about how we actually measure the property market. Because I think it's something that if you don't have good data, you can't make good conclusions. And it's not always the case that we have good data in every country. So where does Cayman, where, what's the landscape that Cayman has in terms of the data available? And how does that compare globally? And how does that compare to what our international peers are doing? I think Cayman's uh, very well set up in terms of the, the data availability. Um, you know, we've, uh, we're very fortunate to have the um, cadastral system that the Land and Survey Department look after. Um, Hang on, cadastral system. Yes, t- explain what the devil that means to me. Well, that's uh, essentially carving up all of the different plots of land in the uh, in the island and registering the owner. So, okay. you know, so we, we know who owns which bit. Um, and how much they bought it for when they bought it, that sort of thing. The uh, the granularity of that data is very good. Uh, the accuracy of the data is very good. We uh, you know we 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 use it a lot um, in some of the research and the analysis that we do. Um, we also have the uh, the multiple listing system and the Cereba organisation, um, which are excellent. We um, uh, we take a lot of our information from them as well. Uh, just in terms of analysing sales, you're correct, and you know it's it's a very hot topic at the moment. There's lots of uh, um, you know lots in the paper recently. Um, we took a look at the data from the Cereba system this morning. Uh, as an example, we're up at seven hundred thirty-seven million dollars worth of sales. In the seven hundred thirty-seven million dollars of sales this year. This year, so far, as of as of Seem, this, that seems like a big number. Well, how does it compare to other years? Uh, well, in the in the total last year, 2020, it was 647. So, so hang on, we're in month, what month are we in, Amy? Yeah, we're, uh, October. I think we're in October. Okay, yeah. so we're in October. We've got November, two, two and a half months left in the year, and we're already, what's that, 20%, 30% above where we were, mm-hmm. something like that? But what yeah. about 2019? Obviously, 2020 and 2021 have got to be odd years across the board economically, right? Surely only 2019 is an odd year. Well, odd in year. terms of the okay. year. Sorry. And a prime number. Yeah, so 2020 certainly, yeah, 2020 was a record, so it's already broken the record from uh, from, from 2019. Um, so 2020, in terms of sales, was a record year, despite it being an unusual year. And 2021 has already exceeded that, and we're only in October. Through the Cereba system, yeah, which doesn't represent the entire market, but it's a, it's a decent chunk of it. It's enough, enough to be indicative of what's going on. And this is just residential? That's that's the whole market. The so whole that's, market. You know, so that's commercial and land in there as well. I see is it uh, when you when you are talking about that? And you, you said something there that it doesn't represent the whole market. I guess historically, once upon a time, almost all transactions happened probably through Cereba, and then now the internet came along, and people could sort of post their property for sale on the internet, and you could take a private transaction. So, is it possible that more transactions are happening? Is it philosophically possible more transactions are happening outside of the Cereba system? 
it's certainly philosophically possible. With it's it's uh, it's a little difficult to track when you uh, when you compare the, the the total sales value of the inf- um, through the Cereba system to what Lands and Survey are recording on uh, on their data through the valuation office and things like that. We think Cereba's probably increasing its market share, if anything. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Huh. Well, there you go. Okay, keep going then with where we are in terms of data and what else we, what else is going on in this market. Yeah, we so we know. yeah, so we just going back to the Cereba numbers there. So we we you know we as as I say in twenty twenty one we're already at a record number. Um, that seven hundred thirty seven million is uh, uh, the, the total dollar value is uh, across seven hundred fifty three sales as of today, um, and that compares to six hundred sixty eight sales last year. So it's still an increase on the you know the absolute number of sales that are taking place. Who's really good at quick math? Who can divide seven hundred and something million by seven hundred and fifty three sales? I'm just curious as to what the average transaction. If I keep talking for long enough, will someone be able to? <laughs> Lou's got his calculator. Yeah. Yes, nice. Is it one percent or two percent or? Yeah. Well, it's it, it's nine hundred seventy nine thousand. The average transaction. The average transaction. Wow. So but that's yeah. But that includes so that's the average, it's, and that that includes commercial. So it could include a. A property of twenty million dollars, forty million dollars, mm-hmm. and it could include multiple smaller houses, multiple larger houses. That's correct. One percent. One percent increase. Okay. Oh yes, yeah, one percent increase on the the average transaction between the two years. So through from twenty so twenty nineteen, sorry twenty twenty, the average price was nine hundred sixty nine thousand US. This year so far, 979,000 US. So not a significant difference in terms of the average sale price that's being kind of garnered, but just more, more in volume, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct, correct. So what do we think is driving that? Well, I mean, first we probably should start with the explanation that that is not an accurate way to to measure change in prices. And um, the reason for that is um, that... What you're comparing is you're comparing properties, houses, condos, commercial buildings of different quality. So what you need to do is um, you need to adjust for that. And actually, because of uh, because of for that specific reason, Martin and I created uh, an index, which is a residential condo index. We call it Doc HPI, and uh, as a as an attempt to fix the problem. Okay, so what you're saying is a simple average like that, because it includes a whole load of things. Yeah, it could include a $25 million piece of land. Which sells once every right, 20 exactly. years. So you, you adjust for all those things and, and, and simplify, simplify in the sense of, well, simplify it so that you're just comparing equivalent types of properties, so condos in this analysis. That's right. I mean, what, what we do, um, it's, it's a repeat sales Regression, um, similar to the one that um, everyone's getting their stats books out right now. So yes. keep going. <laughs> uh, if you've heard of the Case Shiller Index yeah. up in North America, it's the same methodology that the Case Shiller Index uses. So it's it's uh, in its in its most simple form, it's uh, it takes a condo um, condo A, let's call it, that sells in 2010 for a hundred thousand dollars, and then sells again in 2015 uh, for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then sells again in twenty twenty for two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. So we look at those three individual transactions uh, and assess the change in value between um, the two or three in this in this case three different periods. Okay, so you're you're taking an equivalent property and assessing the value that's really changed, as opposed to being distorted by different types of property transacting any one year. That's right, yeah. So we, we, we compare the value, the, the relative change in value of the same piece of property over different time. And how do you get the data for that then? Because it seems to me as though 
you go to the States and I can go onto my Bloomberg terminal and there's thousands of pieces of real estate data, the same for the UK, similar for Europe, same for Australia, Canada, but there isn't a lot of publicly available, it seems as though there isn't a lot of publicly available, easy to source data in the Cayman Islands. So how do you get this raw data to run these regressions? Yeah, again, that's where we're very lucky to have lands and survey and the uh, the, the um, the um, transactional data that they record. It's uh, certainly more granular, I think, um, than anything regionally um, in terms of its accuracy and its detail. Um, I'd go so far as to say it's probably more granular than the information that land registry in the UK holds. Uh, insofar as at least with condos, which we tend to concentrate on, um, given that um, you know they're, they're they're more they're more consistent to be able to compare over time. You can't extend a condo or uh, you know uh, build a garage onto it or anything like that. Um, we uh, we're able to assess that you know a two thousand square foot condo that was worth X ten years ago is now worth Y ten years later, and it's the same two thousand square foot condo. And I guess that's that's a fundamental problem, isn't it? That you've explained that, which is. One of the things, it's all very well considering the same property, but you've also got to make sure the property hasn't changed its characteristics. So as you say, you could potentially upgrade a property, you could add a new roof, you could, I don't know, put some solar on. But in a condo, you can't do quite such a substantial change as, as uh, make an extension, which you could on a house. So that's why you specify condos as being very highly homogenous in that sense. Isn't That's it? right. And it's uh, condos uh, represent more than 50% of the uh, the residential supply in Cayman as well. So we think it's a, it's a fairly decent yardstick to be able to use as a, an indication. Do you think it's a good on. proxy for the whole market or is it just a good indication of what the condo market is doing? Um, in the absence of anything else, I think it's a good proxy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. And we, we, we use, uh, we use the index a lot. I mean, it's uh, if, if, if you allow me to go back to the Cereba data, at least it's, uh, you know, so the example we used just now, um, 969,000 mean average last year versus a 979,000 mean average US dollars this year. As Lou says, it's a, around about a 1% increase in price. Um, I don't think anybody here in, in Cayman would probably agree with you if you told them that house prices have gone up 1%. Um, this year, um, you know, it's it's probably not the case. I mean, we can dig more granularly into that. So, if you if you look at the single family home market, for example, and just and concentrate on that only through the Cereba system, uh, that's gone from an average of one point five four million last year to one point seven five uh, million yeah. this year. So, quite the jump. But then, if you do it on the condo market, it's gone from one point one million average last year to one million this year. So, hang on so, a second. You're saying in 2021, this is using your data that you've you've standardized for all these extraneous variables. So you're saying that having standardized for all of that, condo prices in 2021 are actually lower than they were in 2020. Is that let me Let me, let me I'll clarify. This is, so this is the Cereba data, and we're just talking about mean averages. Oh, okay, this is okay. Cereba data yeah, before yeah. you do your standardization. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so we, we, we read a lot of the time where people com- compare the mean average from one year to, to the next. And as, as, as Lou's talked about, it's, uh, this, this quality mix issue means it's not really a reliable indicator. Um, so we, uh, we, we, we use the repeat sales uh, regression um, to to get information for the for the condo market specifically. Um, based on that, we think um, prices in Cayman are up about 11% so far okay. this year, just in condos. So that's an important thing. There's a good learning experience there for people, as they, as again, as they reach for their stats textbooks to understand um, regression, means, and all the rest of it. A headline number which says, you take the Cereba data that's published, and it says 
the average, the total, the number, that's your average, and it's gone down in 2021. And people are there scratching their heads saying, well, how's that possible? It seems that everything's become more expensive. You're actually saying, well, if you take the, the adjustments that you need to take to standardise, so you're, you're comparing like with like, as opposed to a new build compared to an old build, and only new builds were sold one year and only old builds another. Actually, when you make those adjustments, condo prices have increased by, do you say 11? 11%. 11%. So that's, that's a substantial increase. And that's, I don't know whether that's in line with what people who are listening think is what they'd guess the number to be, but it's certainly a big number, certainly, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly. Um, and we, we, we think, uh, you know, the 11% that we've seen so far this year is kind of in line with what we've observed the last few years on Ireland, as everybody's well aware. So that's, that's what it's been going at for the last couple of years as well. We think across, across Cayman, probably double digit um, every year for at least the last four years. Um, you know, there's there's obviously different sub-markets within that. You know, what's what's true in West Bay might not necessarily be true in Lower Valley. But, um, you know, if we if we look at Seven Mile Beach, that's the kind of the poster mm -hmm. child for uh, a lot of the inflation that, you, you know, people read about in uh, in the media. Uh, those were, um, you know, we, th we think that started really in, in, in earnest at the tail end of 2016 to the point where, the, you know, our, our index for 2017 shows... Uh, prices on Seven Mile Beach jumped by 30% between 2016 and 2017. Gosh. Okay, well, look, we've got a lot of data that you've given us now. We're going to take a short break, and I think straight after that, what we're going to try and do is understand why the numbers have pointed to where they've pointed to. So you've given us the raw data, and now we're going to reach inside Blue's mind and try and understand what's been going on. So join us again straight after the break. The Cayman Islands Chamber of Commerce Pension Plan. We're here for you. Are you aware of the performance of your pension plan? The Cayman Islands Chamber of Commerce Pension Plan provides quarterly fund fact sheets for our members to stay informed with the plan's performance. For the year ended 30th of April 2021, the various life cycle funds have provided returns between 10.5% and 43.2%. And our all-in expense ratio for year ended 30th of June 2020 is currently the lowest it's ever been. 0.72%. Visit chamberpension.ky to review our fund fact sheets. You can see the performance as far back as 10 years. Remember that pensions are a longer-term investment strategy. Focus on the long-term rather than the short-term returns. The Cayman Islands Chamber of Commerce Pension Plan continues to perform for you. This is Money Sense, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. Brought to you by the CFA Society Cayman Islands. And now, more Money Sense. Welcome back to Money Sense and our conversation on the Cayman property market. Before the break, we talked about the raw data that's been exhibited here in Cayman, and we came to the conclusion that over the last few years, the condo market, of which we have the best data, has been seeing gains of 11%. Now, Amy, I think you want to talk about what the future holds. So let me pass over to you. Yeah, well, when I'm listening to what you're saying, I mean, you have these kind of one-off, one-year data points that we're hearing. And it's kind of there's an increase of 11% or is it an increase in 1%. Is that really meaningful to a buyer or a seller? And what do, what can they take from that? Or even should they take anything from that? Okay. So we have, we, don't, uh, we have not only one point. We have actually historical information since 1997. So we have annual changes on a year-to-year -year basis since 1997. And um, to answer your question, probably no, right? You shouldn't be looking at 11% increase to decide it and decide whether you should buy or not to buy or to sell or not to sell. So um, what is more important is the long-term trend. 
So um, an interesting stuff here, an interesting stat here would be um, the compounded annual growth since 1997, and that is around 4% in the Cayman Islands. What you could also look at, and that's also interesting, is um, uh, to see by how much the price is contracted in a period of um, um, hard economic times. Between 2008 and 2011, that was one of the worst um, crises um, in housing in, in recent history. Um, so prices declined by around 14%. So, so you could look at that and, you know, kind of... Uh, prepare yourself for for a conservative scenario if you if you're worried about it. We were, by the way, um, um, many many people asked that question last year when there was uh, in the middle of the lockdown. Many people were concerned what could happen, and none of us knew. But um, it's just one scenario that you could use in in this kind of. So you're problem. using it almost as a scenario analysis. If something goes a bit pear shaped, when it did, things fell by about fourteen percent here in Cayman. In effect, is what we is is a way of interpreting those data points you could you could use it that's i mean again the history is not a guarantee for sure for future performance but uh, we say that occasionally we, on the we show. know about that a little bit we, could we, we occasionally warn people so, that. but it, it does beg the so. obvious question is the property market in crisis versus is the economy in crisis and from what i'm hearing the answer is no in terms of both a long-term trend and even more specifically the last two to three years well, I'd say that uh, the answer is it depends. So, uh, uh, so we probably should go back to um, the beginning of last year. I thought so, you were about to say uh, beginning of time. Really no, no, unfortunately, oh, please, wish, please wish, let's not go back actually, to the beginning. Actually, Martin, I would year. love to be able to get uh, to go to the beginning of time. Well, we can, then we can talk about big, what the big bang led so. to. Oh, <laughs> be, carry on, sorry. No, since, since property has been an established factor, so that's okay. that, that type of uh, <laughs> uh, history. I'd say more recent uh, history, but. Um, so uh, what happened basically last year is, um, um, what we think happened last year is um, COVID came to our shores. And then uh, as a result, uh, we had to implement certain restrictions. We had to close the borders. And uh, the first thing that happened is that tourism pretty much disappeared. Um, and as a result, uh, what we could see is that we could see a decrease of tourists. So. So right away, there was a number of properties which were, um, they were mostly in the Selma Beach corridor, but also in many other places which were in the short-term rental pool. And many of those were added to the existing supply. So supply pressures went up. At the same time, many of the employees, I mean, that didn't happen immediately. Some happened immediately, some happened after. But many, many employees, uh, most of them employed in hospitality, but many others had to leave the island. And there is a as a result, there was a there was a fall of demand. So this is actually known in the economics as a downward shift of the demand curve. Here we go. Sure. Now, now I, I remember I remember one thing from my economics course here. We've got increased supply, and we've got less demand. That should lead to prices falling. Right, and it did. But and, not... and and Matt's just said they went up eleven percent. It did, but okay. it did But uh, but the direct impact is it impacted the prices of rent. So that was the impact. Uh-huh. So what we think happened is uh, those prices fell by a little bit more than 10%, so um, around 11%. So that was the immediate impact. So rental price, rental rates declined by double digits. Correct. But if I'm back to my basic economics again, the value of the asset that you hold, if one were to take the traditional approach of discounted cash flow, so the value of the cash flow that that asset generates, if the value of the cash flow it generates has decreased, and it's gone down 11% in one year. So 
you discount that, the value of the asset should therefore logically also be worth less. Worth less, not worthless. Sorry. But you also see, as he was saying, there's more supply on the market. Ultimately, without tourists coming in, maybe the owners of them were saying, can't afford to keep it. Let's see how, mm -hmm. how we can, so why do if prices we should go sell up? it. So that's the, that's the, that's and, the uh, challenge. Yeah, and, and you basically uh, talk in a classic economic uh, well, sense. I'm a classic yes. person. It's, uh, it's, it's basically, it's, uh, uh, it's actually a mistake all of us make most of the time, uh, including uh, myself. So basically, you assume that everything else is going to be held equal. So and it, it never is paradise. right. So basically, Simon's going to lose his mind if, over here. <laughs> Destroy if, everything he's ever believed in. If uh, if if the central banks do nothing, if the governments do nothing, um, what that should lead to is eventually it should lead to a fall in prices. Mm -hmm. But it's very so. I'm right in theory. In theory, you're okay. right. But uh, it is very unusual. Although it has happened in the past, it has happened. I'd say uh, in in a, in a more recent uh, history, uh, it probably was one of the reasons for the 1930 depression. Um, but uh, in this case, this is not what happened. Okay. So and the reactions this time were actually very swift and very strong. So uh, so right away, uh, the Federal Reserve implemented very strict, very strong uh, monetary measures. So they lowered interest rates drastically and then increase the money supply. Mm -hmm. So um, if you look at uh, M2 money stocks, that's just one measure of all dollars that are in circulation, uh, savings account, checking accounts, cash, etc., money, money market accounts, mutual funds, everything else, you would see that something like more than $5 trillion were created, printed in a period of about 18 months. And just to get your perspective, uh, that's about a quarter of all dollars in circulation. Uh, that is also more than what we had in the economies around the world. And we're talking about US dollars for uh, most of the 90s, probably even all, all the 90s. Okay, so, so the Fed produced $5 trillion sort of out of nowhere. How does that affect the Cayman property market. Right. So, so if, you, if you first uh, measure the impact, you, you'll realize that what happened is that monetary impact was stronger than the impact on demand. So if you use our, let's say, the measure of rents, about 11%, and if you just take the difference in um, interest rates, so interest rates here, mortgage rates fell down by about 200 basis points, about 2%. So, and if you, if you do a simple si simulation, assuming... Um, you were interested in a home before, and um, how much more you could pay for the same home, you end up with uh, about 18% more. So these measures were, were much stronger. So just that on its own is a stronger reaction than, uh, than the negative, actually downward shift of the demand curve, right? So basically the monetary measures were stronger than that. And on top of it, you have fiscal measures. Um, governments uh, around the world, not just in US, where, where basically they, they funded uh, unemployment uh, for borrowing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in many countries, actually, people receive unemployment benefits which are exceeding their previous, uh, previous salaries or, um, or paychecks. Um, here, the government, for example, uh, the government allowed to access the pensions, which had a similar impact. So, in, so increased money liquidity, supply. right? Yeah. So basically, increased liquidity and those measures were, were stronger and and again at the end of the day you have to understand that uh, we measure real estate in dollars and uh, we track prices in terms of dollars so uh, when there's more 
of it, more more dollars in the system, prices go up. So go on, Jamie. Yeah, but what does that mean for affordability? And is there yeah. going to be basically a top on this in terms of where wage growth is not going to keep up, where ultimately those property prices there will not be the buyers, there will not be the liquidity in the market. What happens then? And and I know that I've read across Jersey trying to limit um, foreign property ownership, even Canada trying to do a temporary thing. Do you think that that would be I – I think we would all agree around this table, no, but I'd like to hear you kind of wax on it a little bit in terms of what could the ultimate either benefits or, or disadvantages be of trying to limit foreign ownership to increase affordability for local residents, local Kamenians? Okay. Um, so um... – it's a, it's a really long topic, actually. So I probably should divide. And Amy's given you precisely two minutes to answer. Yeah, so I was just given a two-minute warning. So, so first of all, I should I should say that we should go back to uh, the central issue. So, so many people talk about it, but uh, but I haven't seen or heard of too many who have the right data, and we don't. Have, unfortunately, we don't have the right data because when you talk about affordability, there are two parts of the equation. One is uh, income levels, and second is property prices. So we have an estimate of how much property prices are, what property prices are changing, what directions they go. We don't have uh, good estimates about uh, what what income levels are, and you cannot be you cannot take an average. So you have to be specific here. So uh, just because the average um, income increased, that doesn't mean that it increased for everyone. Um, so you have to make it very specific, which makes it very complex. So unfortunately, we don't have that data. Um, and usually, interesting enough that many people that talk about it don't have it either. And uh, if I think about who might have it, is uh, I can only come up with perhaps the banks. Because they have to do credit applications. They ask people, what income do you earn? How has it trended over the last three or four years? Correct, correct. We've looked at a very high level of, of the, on, the, um, on the overall lending levels and just compared that to the, to the growth of GDP. Um, if there was a massive increase in lending or decrease in lending due to affordability reason, you'd see a trend in that direction. And um, I mean, similar to like the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, and we haven't seen any any kind of weird patterns or anything like that. But it doesn't mean uh, there are no pressures. In the, on the, uh, as a matter of fact, there's, there's likely um, pressures on the affordability uh, in the market here. And... Um, and that is a trend that is happening in the entire world. As a matter of fact, uh, Federal Powell um, um, has talked about it uh, on many occasions. I guess when you look at affordability, if you take, say, the US as a proxy, you've seen incomes at the higher than median level increase quite rapidly, and you've seen incomes below the median not increase at anywhere close to the same speed. So the bottom quartile of incomes have stagnated a lot. Top quartile have gone up an awful lot. And then if the average if the average house price is also increasing and yet lower income people aren't seeing wage growth, that becomes more and more unaffordable for them, and that's the challenge. But does does potentially stopping foreign buyers does that improve the ability of the affordability because it takes away demand and therefore what what well I was about to say, then it reduces prices. So that might be bad for people who own properties. So I mean you're going on a different topic here. I'm not a policy economist yeah. or government. Well, it becomes policy, a very political but, issue. But uh, but what's let's let's just make it simple uh, in terms of let's just talk about in terms of real estate uh, prices. Um, and and by the way, I mean I would love to have researched uh, the topic, but I'm waiting for this one case 
where so I read about it in the newspapers all the time, uh, where this country implemented it, that country yeah. implemented it, but but I never read about success. So something where a good article where twenty years into it or even ten years into it they implemented it, and uh, and everyone's happy, and the, and the economy is doing great, and they achieved the. Uh, um, the target. Uh, so, but, but by the way, what is the target? So, what do you think the goal here is? Basically, is it are you trying to uh, affect the future price increases, or you are you trying to affect the price? I, I don't well, think you're trying to, not, to increase I'm, the income, right? I'm not, so, not going to try and guess what politicians might be thinking, but clearly, perfect the, for buyers, the, terrible the, for sellers. Well, the focus is to decrease the price of everyone's home, but your own. So that it becomes more affordable, but yours goes up still. I mean, that's because no one wants to see their property. We can all agree asset. with. We can all agree on that. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great if you could do it. But <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's that's sort of the the intuitive idea, which is decrease prices as long as it's not ours, and that makes it more affordable. The problem is a lot of people own property as part of their pension retirement, and that make that that, that income stream is important. So if you decrease the value of that asset, that reduces future prosperity as well. So it has a has a knock on effect. Now. Um, fortunately, before we get embroiled in policy matters, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we are almost out of time. We managed to have a 30-minute show or thereabouts, and we get through about two, two-eighths of or one-quarter of our topics and our questions. As usual. As usual. So thank you to Matt and Lou for joining us this morning. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for uh, a brief education on neoclassical, I think I might call you, e- economics, and uh, a little bit of regression stuff earlier. So that, that, was, the, that was an absolute delight to me. Anyway, to thank our listeners as well for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you this morning. And uh, please do tune in again in two weeks' time. As a final reminder, we do, of course, have this show, which will be as a podcast, Amy, on our website. And then, of course, if you want to send us questions, it's moneysense at cndw.ky or tweet us at... Money Sense Radio. Money Sense Radio. There you go. With that, please do tune in in two weeks' time. Thank you. Money Sense is brought to you by the Chamber Pension Plan. For further information, visit chamberpension.ky. 